Today is Tuesday, September 6th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for listening, whether it be over the air, through the KFUO app or on their website, or through your favorite podcasting app. No matter how you tune in, I'm glad you're here. Settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Now, Thy Strong Word is graciously supported by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, so I want to mention them. LHF translates, publishes, and distributes books that are Bible-based, Christ-centered, and Reformation-driven. When you get a moment, visit lhfmissions.org to learn more. Now, if you have questions or comments about today's show, maybe you just want to say hi, email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. Many listeners have already written in, and I love hearing where you're from and how Thy Strong Word is a part of your devotional life. So to that end, beginning this week, every Friday show, I'm going to begin with a pull from the listener mailbag. So write in. I'll share your comments or answer your questions live on the air. So that email again is pastorboo at gmail.com, P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Now, without further ado, we come to our text for this morning, Romans chapter 5, verses 14 through 33. Now, Paul is making his way toward the conclusion of this letter, and he shifts gears here by way of reminding his readers of his mission to spread the gospel and that he desires to visit them if able. Joining me this morning to contemplate how the Holy Spirit is moving through St. Paul is my guest, the Reverend Kevin Parviz, pastor of Congregation Kaivis Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Parviz is also a chaplain for the Emerald Society of Missouri, director for Classical Con- Conversations. He's a member of the St. Louis Irish Pipes and Drums. I'm sure much more. Pastor Parviz, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Hello, Pastor. How are you? I'm doing great. I know that you've been on uh, Thy Strong Word plenty of times, but this is the first time that I'm meeting you, so I'm uh, happy to have you here. I am as well, and I, I see you must have had something of my bio off of somewhere, but I don't know much about you, so good to meet you, <laughs> and uh, I'll have to learn more about you. Well, thanks. Yeah, you can check my bio out on KFUO.org. I have a, a few bits of information out there. Certainly happy to talk to you off the air, but, you know, I want to feature your expertise. Now, I will ask you a question, though. In the secret place where I also got your bio, it also said that your congregation is fairly unique in the LCMS, that uh, you worship in the same fashion as the Church of the First Century, and then it's patterned after a Second Temple model of worship. Uh, you might have shared this before, but not with me. So tell me, and maybe our listeners who aren't familiar with you, uh, what does that mean? What does that entail? Well, that's, you know, and, and, you know, of course, when we say that, we mean to say that we are aspiring to, because you really can't nail down exactly what Second Temple model worship was. But what I mean by that is that our, our congregation is a congregation of, of Jewish believers as well as Gentile believers in Jesus who have come together around Word and Sacrament, and, and our liturgy is uh, historically 
Hebrew, which was, of course, the language of the Second Temple. Many of the prayers that we use come from that system of worship uh, and the tradition that went down through the ages from that. You know, traditionally, our, our traditional liturgies go back only a few centuries, more like 12 or 15, but ours goes back uh, a lot farther than that. So that's that's what we mean to say. And we, you know, the first century church was Jewish. And so, of course, they worshiped together on Sunday because they were celebrating the resurrection, but they also gathered together on Saturday and Sabbath during the worship services of the people that they gathered around. And so our um, our services are on Sunday morning, but they're in Hebrew and English, and uh, at least attempt to gain to get something from that uh, that cultural zeitgeist, if you will. Wow, what a fascinating connection to the Christians of the early church. Uh, would you say that and the Christians? This, Go ahead. And the Romans, uh, you know, it's an, it's amazing because here in Romans, Paul is so concerned about witnessing to the Gentiles, those who have not yet heard. And, you know, unfortunately, in the history of the Church since that time, um, we, the Jewish people, have been left behind with the worship, of, with, the, with the proclamation of the Gospel. And so we're, we're unique in a sense, and it's a sad uniqueness, because my hope when we began this ministry was that this model would grow in our Church body. Uh, we are, unfortunately, still unique. But um, the Jewish people today are the ones who are, I mean, you know, Lutheran Heritage Foundation, uh, all the ministries of the LCMS, they do such a wonderful job of proclaiming the gospel to the nations, and yet we so often forget about that first people, those first children of God that have turned away and God still loves and wants to, wants to reach them. Absolutely. I think it's also amazingly beautiful, though, how God comes to us with his word and sacrament, and it sometimes is contextualized in different communities and cultures, reminding us Uh that, yes, the early Christians were Jews, but now as it spread, just as Paul's vision was, as the Holy Spirit sent him to do, it has spread among the Gentiles and takes many forms. So let's move in, though. Let's get right into the book of Romans. But uh, before we begin, I'd love to invite you to start our time together in prayer. Sure. Thank you, Pastor. Abba Father, we thank and praise you for this day and uh, for also for your servant, Paul, who um, Jewish and apostle to the Gentiles and yet never lost his heart for his own people. And we pray, Father, that as we study this word today, that your Holy Spirit would anoint us anew for understanding as we look to the people around us and desire, as Paul did, to speak your word to those who have not yet heard it. We ask all this in Jesus' name, B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. So our text for today is the second half of Romans chapter 15. So I'm going to read verses 14, pardon me, 14 through 21. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But... On some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. 
so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now that ends with verse 21. We have a handful more to go after that, but let's start there, brother. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. While I'm certain that Paul is sincere in those words, the rest of the letter uh, betrays that a little bit because he's writing them with some serious concerns that we also learn from as Christians. Maybe begin, if you will, uh, wherever you'd like, of course, but, but catch us up. Where has Paul been to bring us to where we are now? Well, you know, I think that, uh, you know, this, this is a sad part of this letter because we know that Paul never makes it to Rome as a missionary, but as a prisoner, certainly still as a missionary, but never gets there the way he intends, is planning to go, as we'll read later, uh, continue on in his journey further west. Um, but he's speaking to a church, in, in my understanding, and, and I understand because we use, in, 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 he quotes Isaiah here, Isaiah 52, uh, and in Isaiah 52, it goes right into the suffering servant passages, which are so prominent for witnessing to Jewish people today. Um, and he he speaks to these, these Roman Christians, which I personally think are the fruit of the first Pentecost when Peter preached that sermon. And, you know, those, those Jews from Rome who came to faith in Jesus during, uh, during that first Pentecost, they went home and they started the, the new church. This is not a church that Paul began. It's a church that he's writing to, he's heard of, he knows people there. Uh, he, is, he cares for them. But in many ways, it seems like they have lost their witness uh, and, and sort of have become, I think what Paul is admonishing is church sort of the way church becomes inwardly focused. And so he is, his, his love for them is such that he wants to push them out of the boundaries that they have set for themselves and not only reach, yes, the Jewish people of Rome, but also all of those who are in their environment in Rome as well. Uh, you know, the, the uh, thesis verse for the book of Romans, Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And uh, that's the theme verse for our ministry as well. Uh, and so Paul is, is loving this church. He knows their hearts, but yet they have become uh, a kind of parochial in their vision. And and he's and he, I think he's just pushing them out. And yet here he affirms, you know, that they have they have the love of Christ in their hearts. Uh, they just need to take it out from their from their buildings. 
you know, Paul is not beyond pointing out the good things of the Christians. Of course, those good things are brought to them by the power of the Holy Spirit, just as he gives credit for his own successes to God's, you know, ability and gifts. I'm thinking already of 1 Corinthians, which is our topic for next time. It begins on Thursday. But in 1 Corinthians 1, he says something very similar. He describes this, I think we would all agree, dysfunctional congregation that they were in every way enriched in him, Christ, in all speech and knowledge. And we see that same language. And it's not as though he's buttering them up, but rather he's telling them the truth that through Christ they have access to this goodness. They're filled with all knowledge and they're able to instruct one another. But he also talks about being bold, and the boldness comes from his authority as a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. But in that verse 16, when he says, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, etc., um, is he making a connection there to the, the Jewish office of priest in regards to his work? And how does that look not only back then for the Romans, but today? You know, you might be uniquely situated to answer this question because of your own ministry. Uh, just think, I think in a lot of ways, and one of the ministries that we have, our primary ministry is the proclamation of the gospel to Jewish people. Our secondary ministry is to help our church sort of recover the Jewish roots of our faith, because in many ways we've lost a lot of that perspective over the centuries. And and certainly Paul, who being Jewish, and he, keep in mind who Paul was. He was a Pharisee. He was trained under Gamaliel. He was an expert in the law. He was highly educated. Gamaliel was a big deal in his day. Um, and he comes to faith in Christ, but he never loses his perspective of, of his Jewishness. Uh, and his heart for his brothers, read Romans 10, 9, 10, and 11. Um, uh, and so all of his language is going to be couched in in, a, in the culture that he's coming from, and that's where this priestly language comes from, of course. And, you know, as, as Christ made us both priests and kings uh, in the gospel, that we are to use, use both our, our service as priests and our authority as kings to, to be bold and proclaim that gospel to others. So today you'd say that we, we exercise this same office of Paul, not certainly as apostles. That was a unique office for the first century, but in the service of being the priesthood of all believers, to being those who will reign with Christ, that we're to go out and to continue to spread that word just, just as Paul did. Uh, was that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, put words in your mouth. Certainly, and, and certainly, I well, I agree that apostle as an office was was significant in the first century. The, certain, the word apostle merely means sent ones, and so in, perhaps in little a versus big a, you know, we are sent by Christ through the Holy Spirit to minister to those who, as Paul has, is quoting Isaiah here to those who have never been told of him that they might see and those who have never heard will understand. I'm really blessed in that uh, I just heard that a, a Jewish man who I witnessed to many times for over the years, uh, my son also witnessed him and the church gathered around him and he was baptized on Sunday. And what a blessing that was. Yeah, you know, 
Yeah, we, you know, in, in the pericopes coming up for Sunday, when one sheep is found, uh, the, the angels in heaven rejoice. And uh, it, it, we certainly need that encouragement as not only the church, because we see a lot of babies being baptized. But very, you know, I, don't, I don't know if it's rare in other congregations, but I suspect it is, as I've been told, to see these adults coming to faith. And in my case, this Jewish man, what a blessing that is for us. Uh, but that gives us that encouragement to go out and, and take that one victory that the, that the angels are rejoicing over and use that at, by the power of the Holy Spirit to keep encouraging those whom we're witnessing to. I think sometimes, in my experience, the, I think our brothers and sisters get tired because they don't see immediate results or even even timely results. Sometimes the results don't come for years because th- this this is difficult with adults who have never grown up in the church. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, Pastor, if we may, because I've experienced that too. Now, if you have your bingo cards out there and you're waiting to mark off the box where Pastor Boo mentions his former life as a, a Christian down south, then uh, mark it off now, because growing up, in the Armenian tradition where, you know, we're looking for people to make a commitment, that commitment mm. necessarily must come from people who are at an age where they can, you know, give their heart to Jesus, etc. So I grew up seeing far more adult converts and adult baptisms, or at least teenage baptisms, than I would have as infant baptisms. Then coming to mm. the Lutheran church, I now mm. see, as you just described, far more babies being baptized, which is consistent with the historic church, but probably not the way Paul experienced it. As he's going out proclaiming the word, he's going to be interacting, as you said, with far more adults. And and I remember, I think it was 2010, I'm sure somebody will write in, and I encourage you to if I'm wrong, but uh, the, the LCMS, looking at the statistics, said that, you know, one way in which we can try to recover the losses that all church bodies are seeing is that we should grow the church in the natural manner. And if I'm not mistaken, again, at the uh, national convention, the Synod convention, uh, they passed a resolution that pastors should return to their congregations and encourage them to grow in the natural manner, which certainly means having more babies. And we love bringing babies to Christ. And Christ certainly does instill faith in the hearts of children through baptism. But yeah, speak more about this ministering to adults, something that we don't see very much in the Lutheran church. And it's not because we aren't out there ministering, but maybe our, maybe our focus is a little myoptic. Well, I, I think, you know, I, I think, cause you know, I know this man that I, that I'm talking about, he came to faith because he met someone who shared her faith with him and she cared enough to share her faith with him, not just once, but over the years. And she brought in, you know, me, who was Jewish, and I grew up in a Jewish home, and I came to faith in Messiah Jesus in my early 30s. So, you know, I understand what it is to be an adult Jew who is being confronted with something that our tradition says is an anathema. Um, and so, you know, we're able to, to do that. But I think what happens so often, regardless of whether the person is Jewish or not, and, and certainly I love bringing babies to the font, and I think we do need to have more babies. And I think in the natural manner, is, uh, if that's the language that we want to use, that's okay. But it's very natural also 
to witness to a household. Think of what Paul did or Peter did in Cornelius's household, right? Uh, all adults and children, uh, all baptized. Um, we don't. I, I think we we tend to, to rejoice over these faith-filled, loving families who bring their children to the font, and we and certainly we should we should be blessed by that. But when we try to witness to our neighbors who are not believers in Jesus, who are adults, and, and, they, and we don't get sort of an immediate reaction or even encouragement from them to continue, we tend to back off and, quote, respect their space and all this stuff and, and withhold the most precious gift that we have for them. And, uh, and that's, that's something that we, uh, you know, we should be encouraged by one who comes to faith and keeps sharing our faith. Because one of the problems I have with evangelism efforts, especially sometimes on the part of the synods, uh, I think they're, they're well-intentioned, but they, they, they betray the fact that the reality is that our evangelism is not our work. We're just sent, but the Holy Spirit is doing the work. And we can't throw more money at evangelism and hope that that kind of persuades the Holy Spirit to work harder. You know, I don't know. I don't know all of that. All I do know is that we tend to quantify evangelism to uh, other people groups and to adults. And when it doesn't, uh, when it doesn't seem to be working, we change the, the the method here, and we throw more money at it. Or we we get. I've been told by people at the synod level that there's no bang for the buck in Jewish missions because Jewish people are not beating down our doors. Uh, I just think that's the wrong perspective, and we just need to keep telling and let the Holy Spirit work where and when He will. There does seem to be a a careful distinction that we must make when we want to be encouraged by our missionary or evangelistic efforts. On the one hand, as you've pointed out, we get discouraged when we don't see the fruits right away. Perhaps that discouragement or not seeing the fruits is because we aren't out there spreading the message. On the other hand, as you'll acknowledge, the Holy Spirit works when and where he pleases. So if I'm hearing you correctly, or perhaps you can you know, comment on whether you agree or disagree, but I think that we oftentimes will use this idea of the Holy Spirit works when and where he pleases, which is absolutely true, for also not doing anything, saying, well, if yeah, the Holy Spirit wants this person to come to faith, then he'll work when and where he pleases. So uh, it right. kind of encourages our apathy if we don't understand that properly. But we also marry the Holy Spirit works when and well he pleases by the also that people come to faith by hearing the word. Uh, and Precisely. and uh, it's, it's our, it's, you know, we, we struggle as Lutherans because we, um, we, we confuse, I think, um, sort of salvation with sanctification in that in salvation we have no part. That's all God coming to us. Uh, and we receive his gifts by the power of the Holy Spirit. But, but God works with us in our sanctification as we continue to grow and proclaim, and he uses us to further his kingdom on earth uh, as well. So uh, we need to allow ourselves to be used and not just uh, sit back and, and justify inactivity by saying, well, the Holy Spirit will do it in his time. Right. And that's what's beautiful about God, though. You know, he definitely brings us into the faith all by his work. And then when it comes to sanctification, it's his work, too, within us. In fact, oh, yeah. even St. Paul here in our text uh, speaks to that very thing. 
you know, heading to verse 17, he says, in Christ Jesus, then I have a reason to be proud of my work for God. So he's proud of what he's doing. He's proud of what he's accomplishing. But then he tempers that with the reality that it's not his accomplishment, but rather Christ in him. And then he goes on to say, I won't venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. And he gives us a little litany of things there. Uh, talk about yeah, that, though. Yeah. What is Paul talking about? Well, it, it, so it's it, Paul. Paul, I, I struggled, Paul. I kind of understand Paul. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's because I I relate to Paul quite a bit. But um, he, he does boast, seems to boast a lot uh, in his letters. Uh, and yet his boasting is, and I'm reminded of the readings, the Pericope readings for last Sunday, and especially the uh, verse that was appointed for last Sunday's service in the liturgy, that it's not a boasting of ourselves, it's boasting in the cross, boasting of the cross of Christ. And uh, that's what Paul does. And so we have to always look at and say, and what he's boasting about is that God loves us so much that he was willing to say, son to die for our sake. And that's what's interesting about his quotation of Isaiah 52 here at the end of this part of the reading, is that, um, you know, that's all, that's that's the end of Isaiah, the little Bible is sort of the gospel portion, the revelation portion is coming. Uh, it's all about God's love for us and how we can boast in his love, not in our work, but in his love. And that's what Paul is doing here. Yeah, being able to boast in Christ, you know, Lutherans, because we uh, emphasize not taking credit for the work of God, either in us or through us, yeah, we, we sometimes feel maybe a little hesitant to then also boast in Christ, to go out and say, right. look at the great things that Christ is doing. And I see yeah. Paul doing that all the time. He says, I'm boasting, I'm boasting, and he always adds the caveat. Of course, it's in Christ, and it's not my work, but God's work. But He doesn't withhold yeah. from just singing the praises of what God's doing. Yeah, and, and we need to do that because the world around us. I mean, here's what happens: as the world boasts about the failures of the visible church, the world boasts right. and calls the you know the visible church hypocrites and and all of this. And if we don't boast back with the cross of Christ and the work of God. Uh, the world will only get a one-sided vision of the church, and it's not a pretty vision. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I do have a question on verse on chat. Uh, pardon me, verse nineteen. It says here that uh, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I don't want to read too much into the word fulfilled here because he's certainly not done either at this point in his ministry. Um, or, and of course, what we've taken on since Paul to continue proclaiming this. But what's the reference here? You know, in what way is he fulfilling the ministry of the gospel of Christ through these things that he mentions? Well, you know, again, it's it's like, uh, you know, when Paul writes about continuously being filled with the Holy Spirit, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the Greek there gives this impression of this continual filling. And that's what this fulfilling is as well. Fulfill is not necessarily a finished product, like we fulfill an order on Amazon, but it is, it is 
the, it is the finish of the task that we have we have set to achieve here in Jerusalem, as well as all the way around to Illyricum. But for Paul, he's continuing to fulfill the purpose of the gospel of Christ Jesus uh, in his ministry, and he's going to do that. He's doing that in Rome right now with just this letter. He will do that when he ends up in Rome as prisoner and continues to fulfill his ministry. He is sadly unable to fulfill his ministry to Spain, but Spain is historically a Christian nation, so someone else picked up Paul's mantle and fulfilled it, uh, fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ to Spain. So, you know, we do that as well. We continue to fulfill the ministry by, by, by the tasks that God gives us, and those tasks include going and speaking the gospel. Well, I think using Amazon as an example of fulfillment is at least apropos in my life because my uh, orders from Amazon never seem to be fulfilled. They keep going and going and going every day when I get home. But I will say you talk about building upon what others have uh, done, and Paul mentions that too. And I actually think this is sort of a curious comment he makes. In verse 20, he says, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. And if you know anything about rescue services or any sort of public service or any sort of disaster relief, then you know that there's a or or charity. There's a topic called duplication of resources. Sometimes the duplication of resources is such that there's a lot of people doing the same thing in one area and then a lot of areas not being served. So that's what comes to my mind here. But can we have too many people preaching the gospel? Um, we're getting pretty close to a break here, but if you want to begin talking about that, and we'll pick it up when we come back. But yeah, so what does he mean? I don't want to. I don't want to preach Christ where other people are preaching Christ. Just too much work to do, or what? Uh, I think that we have to take the phrase "preach the gospel" in the whole context of what Paul is 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 meaning here. Is he has a particular mission that God has given him? He gave it to him on the road to Damascus, right? And he has been living that that mission ever since. In Jerusalem, the gospel is being proclaimed. The church is established. The work is done. There. And there are others that he is living behind. It is, you know, you know, when I first became a mission planter, the, the, there were two models for mission planting. One was planting a mission. Then when it gets established, you move on and plant another mission. The second model was planting your mission and becoming the resident pastor in that mission and continuing the work there. Uh, I saw myself at the time uh, more as the church planter who would move from place to place. I ended up becoming the church planter that stays in one place, and yet we are, through my ministry and the ministry of, of our church and our overall RSO, we're planting new missions in other places. And so Paul is simply saying the work has been done there in my in my capacity, I'm moving on and leaving behind me the work that continues to be done with the ones who I have, who I, who I, whom I know, and in many cases, whom I have taught. Well, dear listener, don't go anywhere. In just a few moments, when we return from our break, Pastor Parviz and I will continue our discussion of Romans 15. We'll see you on the other side.
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend Kevin Parviz, pastor of Congregation Kaiva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor, before the break, we were talking about Paul uh, not wanting to, you know, preach or proclaim the gospel where someone else has already been there naming Christ. He says, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Um, anything else you want to talk about that before we read this next section of verses, which relates a little bit and talks about Paul's plan to visit Rome? I just think that when you have, you, you mentioned disaster services and duplication of efforts and things like that. Um, you know, here in St. Louis, and I'm, I, I, I use the break to check you out. You have a cat. Oh, wow. But you were asking. You're at Concordia Seminary in 2010, so you're a young guy. Did you never connect with our ministry while you were here? Uh, nope, not at all. Yep, I was there in 2010, yeah. though. Oh, and by the way, I have a cat, a turtle, I have uh, two birds, and a bunny, and I had a hamster, but he's gone on to hamster heaven. Oh, <laughs> cats and birds. We used to have that combination. That didn't work out very well. <laughs> our cat broke into the bird cage. Oh, <laughs> no. Our birds play on top of the, the cat, so he's that lazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, well, I, the reason I ask is because I teach a cross-cultural module at the seminary, and I wondered if you if I'd ever run into you through that process. Um, I, I did deaf ministry when I was there. Sure. Okay. So I, uh, I, you know, I think that it's okay to, here in St. Louis, we've got, you know, you can't throw a rock without hitting a Lutheran church. And, and there... You know, some of them are urban churches that are not doing really well. Some of them are suburban churches that are doing very well. You know, you can have all the stereotypes you want. But when we duplicate our efforts in a, in an area in which we're saturated, um, I don't know. I just I would love to, to take and plant new churches in areas where there are no Lutherans whatsoever. And I think that's really kind of what Paul is talking about here. I, I won't say that Jerusalem is saturated with believers. Don't get me wrong. It's still a nascent church in, in the time of Paul. But, um, but Paul, you know, the work is being done there. There are people, and there are churches established, there are home congregations, there's lots of, lots of stuff going on in Jerusalem. Um, and he just has a heart for going to places where there are, much like St. Patrick, you know, who will get captured by raiders and taken into slavery and later be the one to go back to that, that island and proclaim the gospel. Uh, there's places still in the world today, and uh, and, it, and you don't have to go overseas. There are places uh, here in this country where the gospel is not being proclaimed rightly, and uh, we long to be in those places as well. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Paul does seem to have some sort of idea that he is called to certain areas and not others. In 2 Corinthians 10.13, he says, But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us. He mentions that a couple more times, but but in that letter. The, the, but I absolutely agree with you, though, that, you know, Paul's interest is to keep moving you know he's his interest is to continue to spread the gospel so he's if there's someone there already spreading the gospel he's not going to be that concerned especially if they're you know he says lest i build on someone else's foundation i think that could be also read in terms of he wants to build only on the foundation which is christ and true so he goes and he allows for the gospel to be spread without his meddling in it but at the same time is sure to go off and be a true proclaimer. And for us today, absolutely, you don't have to go overseas. You don't have to go into the jungles of, of South America or Africa to be able to proclaim the gospel, although we need people doing that too. But those people are sending missionaries here. And the reason why yeah. is because there's plenty of people in the United States and the North America that need to hear of Jesus. Because listen, even if they think they know who Jesus is, dear listener, they might have a or probably have a wrong understanding of him. The Jesus that they've rejected could very well be a Jesus that's been invented by somebody else or by a false prophet. So never, Amen. never give up out there proclaiming the gospel when you agree, Pastor. Absolutely. And thank you for saying that, because that, that is uh, I mean, I when I when I'm out on the streets talking to people, I talk to a lot of Christians, too. Uh, my question is always, what do you think about Jesus? And you wouldn't believe the a answers that I get from believers and unbelievers alike. Oh, I can't there no imagine. Yeah. There are a couple of great books out there. I won't name them, but there are some. And they just they talk about these different Jesuses in our society. And yeah, absolutely. The way Jesus has been taught has been misconstrued in ways that some of these Jesuses out there, so to speak, I wouldn't want to follow them either. And Jesus certainly wouldn't recognize him. <laughs> no, not at all. All right, so you know what? Let's get the rest of our verses under our belt so that we can uh, put them on the table to talk about. So I will be going uh, now to Romans, and we're going to start with verse 22 of chapter 15, English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, well, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. 
May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, that sounds like the very end of the letter, but tomorrow we'll cover chapter 16, which is indeed the final greetings of Paul. But heading back up to verse 22, he's been hindered to going to them because uh, of his work in these different areas. But now he feels like he's going to be free in the in the coming near future. He speaks very confidently of coming to visit them very soon. And as you know, he doesn't get there, at least not in the way he was expecting. Pastor, take us through this. Well, again, I think this is a sad part of his letter because, uh, you know, he he's taking this offering to the saints in Jerusalem from the regions in which he has built churches. And, uh, and here at the end, he says, I pray I seek your prayers for to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. And that's, you know, that's obviously what happens to Paul. Uh, and and I think I, I've heard this from people, and it, and it disturbs disturbs them, and sort of disturbs me, in that Paul is is giving a very heartfelt prayer for his safety, and yet we know the history, we know what happens, uh, and so God didn't answer the prayer. And and is that really the 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 lesson that we should get from this particular text? And of course the answer is no. But uh, I think it does. This does it does trip up a lot of people with this heartfelt desire of Paul, the seeking of prayers to be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and then the reality, of course, is that he has turned over to them, and they are, and then he comes to Rome in chains. You know, Paul is not ashamed of himself being a prisoner for Christ, but you're right about this section tripping up people. There are plenty out there, our own enemies, who look at this and say, well, if this were truly inspired by the Holy Spirit, then he wouldn't be writing this, or at the very least, he'd somehow know, as if the Holy Spirit is giving Paul all this vision into the future. But you know, the Holy Spirit certainly is inspiring Paul to write of his desires and wishes, which also serve their purpose in the moment. Because Paul is not ashamed of also, I don't want to say a threat, but, but you know, reminding them that he can come by. This is more so in the Corinthian church, but even for those in the Roman church, you know, he's an apostle. So when he, incur- when he says that he's coming, it's more than just, I desire to come and hang out with you. There's also a little bit of, well, when I come, I'm going to be, you know, checking out how things are going and I'm going to be reporting these things back to other apostles. So he certainly has a... Uh, mentor or supervisory type role, even though he's not the one who planted the congregation. And and he puts in this little little uh, nudge to uh, take up an offering yourself. You know, it's right that when you when you partake in all the spiritual blessings, you should also give material goods. Uh, you know, there's there's a tithing kind of a giving message here as well, which is often overlooked. Well, Paul did a lot of amazing work raising money for those saints in Jerusalem. And when you read his letters, yeah, he's always he's always trying to pitch that. And again, you know, we we can kind of giggle about it saying, you know, hey, he's he's always sort of looking for money, raising money. But I don't know, as a missionary uh, or a missionary pastor or church planter, you know what that's like. There's this dual edge to this reality that on the one hand, God's going to provide. On the other hand. He calls you to use your skills to remind people to invest in the mission. And so, yeah, it's awkward for pastors, including Paul as an apostle, to ask for money. But he's got to. He's got to because in this world, 
that's what's needed to help those saints in need in this context and also to help ministries in all of our contexts. Yeah, I, I, uh, I still struggle with that after 30 years of schlepping around to churches and doing, you know, I think the promo was in, in the Lutheran Heritage Foundation that they have missionary pastors who will go around and speak. And I've, I've had to do that. I've, I've gotten many blessings from doing that, and I rejoice in being able to do that. But it is hard to have a congregation uh, and then also be be charged with going out and and increasing division, which is what money. It's you know they're not asking for money; they're increasing division. But that does include the giving of gifts to help increase the vision, and that's a reality. And Paul has that reality. I have that reality, and many many other uh, missionary pastors have that reality as well. And it's not just the missionary pastors, as you'll concede for sure. You know, even pastors who are in regular congregations. In fact, just before I went on the air, I had a brief meeting with the head of my stewardship committee. And we're planning a stewardship Sunday, and it's always difficult to plan those. So my idea for this year is that instead of some overt law-based you need to give money, which, again, Paul's not afraid of using, and there's nothing wrong with that. I said, you know, let's celebrate all the ways in which God has been using us in our community and nationally, internationally, and that sort of thing. So we're, we're trying mm-hmm. to think of these things. But at the same time, we had this conversation, and I said, yeah, people love to give to causes. It's really hard for people to convince them or to encourage them, I should say, to give to things like the light bill, <laughs> to the upkeep right, of the yeah. church. Those things aren't uh, as exciting to give to as, say, maybe even helping out the saints in Jerusalem. But but back well, more to the... Go ahead. We need our brick and mortars. We need our buildings. Those buildings are gathering right. places, and we need to care for them, so... Yeah, it would be wonderful if, if th- that money wasn't an aspect of ministry, but unfortunately it is. Now, he does mention he does mention going to Jerusalem to bring aid. But even before that, he says, this is the reason why I've been so often hindered from coming to you. But since now I no longer have any room for work in these regions, that kind of connects to our conversation that we were having just a moment ago. And before the break, he was talking about not wanting to build upon the foundations of others. But now he's ready to come. Pastor, do you, you kind of know what's going on in Paul's life at this point, uh, and and you know what specifically keeps you've mentioned it a couple times, but what specifically keeps him from ending up in Rome? Well, you know, and, and it's it's interesting because he knows, he tells them, and he confesses to them that he that there is a danger for him to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't he doesn't emphasize it, he doesn't prompt it, but he recognizes that he may be delivered into the hands of the unbelievers in Judea. And so that's why he asks for those prayers. But notice that does not deter him from going to Jerusalem. And, you know, Paul is expressing an incredible faith in God's will that regardless of what happens, God's will will be done and, 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 and through him. Um, what I love about Paul in this particular text, too, is that he is the He's a great uh, leadership developer, because how do you develop leaders? You teach them, you preach to them, you grow them, and then at some point you've got to let them do their work. And so you move on, and you empower them, and you... And then you give it to them, and you t- and that's what he does with Timothy. Uh, you know, he teaches, he he builds, he grows, and then he leaves, and he lets them do the work rather than being this constant person who's oversighting them. And 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 I think that's what he's what he's talking about here. 
when he's talking about also desiring to come to them, he says, I'll leave for Spain by way of you. It gives us some just beautiful, I know it's simple, but it reminds us that Paul is operating with real people in real life during a real part of history. Uh, and uh, this geography here reminds us that, yeah, this is this is not some figurative story that we're supposed to always just learn some spiritual message from, but rather it is a genuine encouragement for Christians in the moment, in this place. And certainly the Holy Spirit encourages us and teaches us through Paul's word too. But verse 29, he says, I know that when I come to you, and he's just so hopeful that I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So even in his desire to come, which we know isn't fulfilled, he, he comes uh, in the blessing of Christ. He comes with this desire to be with these Roman Christians, and certainly that's a reminder to him that his work is not in vain. Kind of going back to what you were saying earlier about seeing the fruits of work. I know Paul didn't plant the Roman church, but certainly his work is not in vain, and this little group of Christians is an example of what God's doing through him and through others. And it's great encouragement to Paul to know that this is not a church that he planted, that this work is getting done outside of himself, too. He's not alone. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that because, you know, he's not he doesn't feel like the entire burden is upon his shoulders to reach the the Gentiles or anybody else. While that's certainly his ministry, he desires both Jews and Gentiles, his own kindred and those who are not of the Jewish faith, uh, Jewish um, ethnicity and tradition to come to faith. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Verse 30, uh, you know, I appeal to you brothers by our our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of spirit to strive together with me in your prayers. Now you've already mentioned that he may be delivered from the unbelievers in Jerusalem, which God answered in the negative, but that my service may be to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, which we presume God answered in the affirmative so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company, which God answered in the negative. You know, God's continuing to answer Paul's prayers. It's just not always yes, right? Not always what he wants. Yeah, although if you look at Paul's prison letters, he does come to them with joy, and he is refreshed by their company. Oh, so yes, that's true. The third prayer of his prayers there is actually in the affirmative as well, just not in the way Paul expected it to be. And that's yeah, an interesting I, I, thing. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, that correction, because you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, Paul is continuing to serve them and they him. But as you said, not in the way he thought. Yeah, and so you know, God's answer is yes, no, and maybe not the way you think I'm going to answer it, but I'll answer it. <laughs> so. and, and boy, that's something that our listeners, including ourselves, can learn from, that we reach out to God with our prayers. And even if the answer is no or is, you know, not in the way you think— Boy, he's still listening. He's still contemplating. Yeah. He has both our desires and our skills and talents in mind, but he also has his overarching plan and what he wants to accomplish. And so ultimately, and I'm sure Paul was this way, but we should be, you know, according to that will, praying for God's will to be done in our lives, because ultimately Amen. he's the one who sends us and, and acts uh, through us. And how, and how much work did Paul do as a prisoner? I mean, the prison epistles are amazing. Well, they really are, you know, including, you know, things like um, uh, this is actually in Romans. But still, even in Romans, you know, he's still not having a great time with some of the authorities. And yet his the doctrine that comes out of his letters 
encourages us, uh, commands us to honor and respect and obey authorities, even authorities in his situation that he was not having a good time with. But that's not just it either. He's living in the world, but not of it as Jesus would have him. And that's for us too, a reminder that wherever Jesus, wherever God puts us, you know, we have access to him through Christ and then he uses us for his glory. So whether we are in a congregation, standing up front as a pastor or sitting in the pew as a parishioner, we're equally valuable to God and the vocations that he's given us. Whether we're a mom or dad or whether we don't have any children at all, we're an uncle or aunt or none of that. God has given us a task, whether we're sitting in prison or whether we are at the nursing home. God can use us to his glory. And that's also, I think, an overarching message that we get from the life of Paul. Yeah, Paul, Paul is, uh, people have, uh, you know, I'm more like Peter. I am uh, an, a reluctant, well, actually, I'm probably more like uh, Jonah. But uh, I'm a, I'm oh, a reluctant no. mission. <laughs> but, um, but Paul is, you know, someone once uh, likened Paul to a guy who runs 100 miles an hour in one direction, gets turned around and continues to run 100 miles an hour in the other direction. I mean, whatever he does, he does with purpose and with joy. And, yeah, he, he catches a lot, and he he does, you know, boast a bit. But he's Paul, and that's who Paul is, and we got to love him. A real person. And I cannot yeah. emphasize that enough. Not that people are out there denying it, but we hear so many of these stories, St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, preach like Paul. But the reality is this is a real guy, and God used him. Yeah. For all of these amazing things, just like he can use you, like he can use you and me, too. Amen. In the last few minutes that we have in the program, we have about six minutes left. Um, give us some give us some, you know, uh, concluding words. But let's work toward sharing a gospel message for our hearers and maybe something, Pastor, maybe something that they can share with their neighbors. I just think that in in. In the in the you know everybody, there are people who talk about having the the gift of evangelism, and the gift of evangelism is a wonderful thing to have. This joy, and I think Paul clearly had the gift of evangelism. Some of us, however, may not be gifted with the gift of evangelism, but we're all given the task of evangelism. Uh, evangelism, and Paul and Paul does that. He. He transforms people from people who are living in darkness to living in light, and he raises up people to continue to transform by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I remember a time I was out on the streets with a, a lady who I had trained in street ministry, and I, I suspect... I, I don't really know. I can't really. It's hard to be introspective, but I uh, I probably have more of the task of evangelism rather. Than, I have other gifts. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not sure that evangelism is one of my gifts. But knowing you know Christ's admonition to me, both in in Matthew 28 as well as in uh, Acts chapter one, um, we go out, and I and I remember watching her. 
and she was expressing so much joy while she was talking to strangers, giving out gospel tracts and sharing the gospel. Well, I was doing the same thing, but I, I did not feel that inward joy. And yet we were both accomplishing the same goal of sharing the gospel with the people who God brought to us in this place and in this time. And I think that's something that we all just need to recognize is that we, we can't, you know, pass off the task only to those who are gifted. I think all of us, if we if we understand what Christ calls us to do in the gospel, you know, and that one of the things I do, our church is an urban church right out on the street with big windows that look out on the street. And on Sunday mornings when we're in worship together, there are people doing yoga in the parking lot across the street. There's people going to the coffee shop. There's people going to the gym, uh, you know, and they're going er everywhere except probably to church. Now, you know, I don't, I try not to judge. They might have gone to seven o'clock service that morning. I don't know. But the reality is potentially every one of those people, God has a gift for that he's given you to give them. And uh, and he's he, and, and it's a gift that you he's already given you that you have experienced this wonderful freedom that knows that when the time comes and we are in the resurrection uh, brought before our Lord that He will say to us you are on my right hand I, I love the uh, the language of our baptismal liturgy we have no fear of the judgment um, and. The people who we see on our daily walks and the people who are around us, they, they, they might not have any fear of God right now, but they should have fear of the judgment. And they will, they will, they will discover that soon enough. And yet God gives us, and he tarries in, in coming, in, you know, Jesus tarries in his return so that they too might hear and, and come to faith. And, uh, that's that's the blessing that God gives us, and all that we do in the church, all the good that the church does, it's all good. Every work that we do in the name of Christ is a good work. But the 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 fishing for men, that's that's what Christ is. That's the first and foremost thing, and that's what all those other good works should lead to. And I I, I love being in the church. I often wonder if. You know, could I be so many of my Jewish um, fellow believers have fallen away from their faith by winsome arguments on the part of the Jewish community? Uh, I often think, wonder if I could ever be suspect or, or guilty of that. And I just don't think so, because uh, the taste of Christ is in my being, and I just can't ever imagine recanting that. What a blessing. You know, we boast in Christ, like St. Paul said. You know, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Kevin Parviz, pastor of Congregation Kaivi Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. And I'm grateful to you, dear Christian, for listening to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tune in tomorrow as we finish St. Paul's letter to the Romans with chapter 16. And on Thursday, we open up another epistle by the apostle, this time to the church in Corinth. And Friday, listener mailbag. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.